Good evening. This lecture will be Leilui Nishmat Sofia Sonia Batsara, Leilui Nishmat Avner Ben Nurela, and Parvis Ben Chudadad, Lerfuad Dafna Batrifka, and Claire Esther Bat Mazaltov. Hope she gets her kidney, what she needs, Bezrat Hashem soon. Lerfuad Aliza Malka Bat Lea. I want to make one announcement before we start. Uh, I would need everyone who listened to the lectures to download my new app. Soon, the only way to watch the lecture will be on the app only. So if you don't, you don't la download it, one day it's not going to work. It's not going to be live broadcast on Facebook or in uh, YouTube forever. We have to be prepared. So that's the plan. As soon as we will have this... A feature to, to do live broadcast through the app, that's where it's going to be. Rabbi Yosef Mizrahi, it's blue with the Magen David symbol on the App Store. You have it by the Apple and you have it by the Android, by Google Store. Baruch Hashem, everything Hashem does, does for good, even though we are convinced that it's bad. We will understand eventually that it's good, for sure. Not maybe yes, maybe not. We will see it for sure. It was good. It's written by the Navi. Berega katon azavtich, gedolim I left you for a small moment. I left you for a small moment, and I will gather you back with lots of mercy. Everybody asks, what do you mean you left us for a small moment? There's already 3,000 years of suffering. Antisemitism, holocaust, pogroms, destructions of the temple, and temple, exiles. Millions of Jews were murdered. For a moment, for a moment I left you. But when I'll come back to you, I will come back to you with lots of mercy. So let's do Kalvachomer. If 3,000 years of suffering, non-stop, millions of dead, so many problems, pogrom, exile, poverty, who knows what else. Hashem call it a moment of suffering. Imagine what will be uberachamim gedolim. When the mercy will come, it's going to be huge. All the suffering of the last 3,000 years, Hashem called it a small moment. But when He promised to give us back the mercy, as He promised us in the end of days, after Mashiach came and all that, it's going to be a huge mercy. Imagine how many times multiply the amount of suffering we had by who knows how many millions. Imagine how wonderful those days would be. So as of now, in the small mind of a human being, especially in a world that many, many people's brains don't function anymore, as I see from the comments that people leave, unfortunately. So from the little part of the brain that does function, it looks right now very bad. What does it mean it looks very bad? I'll tell you what it, what it means. 
the wicked Democrats took over America completely. The House, Senate, everything, presidency. They have now three, four years to pass every law they want. Two more years. Well, together with Sleepy Joe and Kamala and this, they have the majority. They actually have more than four years. They have uh, indefinitely, how do you say, indefinitely? Indefinitely. Indefinite time. Why? Why? No, let No, no, no. Yeah, let me explain to you. With little patience, you will understand where I'm heading. So, first of all, all the years, they did not have full control. There was always like a pin in the neck. You know, like Republicans, they argue, they have majority here, they have majority there. There was always an argument. Now they took over everything. So no more obstacle. They can do whatever they want. All their wild, wicked dreams, unfortunately, can come through for them. They're gonna marry men with men, they're gonna give Iran a bomb, they're gonna make Saddam laws all over this country. There's gonna be no police respect, no nothing. They're gonna bring millions of Muslims, immigrants. Among them, there will be many terrorists. Maybe not all, but many of them will be with extreme agenda, very dangerous people. They'll come over to this country. They will make their majority a lot more than now. Now it was very tight. Next election, four years from now, they're going to have a mass majority. They're going to bring tons of Spanish people from Mexico. They don't care. They bring immigration. Anyone who wants to come, come. Lots of people will move here, and they will have a huge majority. In my opinion, the Democrat, the Republican will never go back to control anything in America ever again. Two reasons. One, mass immigration, as they're going to bring. And there is a much bigger reason for it, is that they control the social media and they brainwash all the children in all the public schools in America. You cannot find almost children that are Republican. All of them are Democrats. Even kids that came from Christian family, that the parents are extreme Christian Republican, once they send them not to a religious school, they send them to public school, they all became gay lovers and any corrupted abomination, that's what the kids became. Why? What do you expect from a little kid? He goes to first grade and from first grade to eighth grade, all he gets is massive brainwash. Brainwash against religion, they're primitive, they die, they're evil. You should give people, uh, you know, freedom, they can do whatever they want, you know their nonsense, I don't have to tell you. A lot of the teachers over there are living abomination life. What do you expect from them to teach about? They won't teach you what the Torah say about them, they'll teach you the exact opposite of the Torah. So give them now four more years of control in elementary schools, high schools, and universities, which is all lefty, rotten, corrupted, wicked agenda, Plus mass immigration, it's over. This country has no future. How is it going to affect us? The Jews, they think they are the smartest. They should have been, but in reality they are the dumbest. There is no nation who hurt themselves more than the Jews. 
the more educated they are, the dumber they get. If you ask and you find out that 99% of American Jews are automatically democratic, when they see that the Democratic Party is being invaded by all kinds of radical Muslim, anti-Semite, hater of Jews, hater of Israel, it doesn't bother them. When you see that all kinds of abomination penetrates the country and Jews should have been sensitive to that, but they don't care about it. When you see the relationship between America and Israel, which was very solid now, is in huge jeopardy, and you still vote for it, and you have no problem that Iran will have a bomb and risk all your brothers and sisters in Israel, you can care less about it, then you're not a smart person. What can I tell you? You're not a smart person. Common sense, there's a lot of goyim that are much, much, much smarter than us. Much. Why? They understand that to marry men with men, it's a huge crime. They didn't learn in yeshiva. They don't learn Torah. They have common sense. They understand something here is not right. They understand all the things that they are. Abortion. Pro-abortion. Murdering millions of babies in the next four years. They're going to murder millions of babies. They promote it. They're very much for it. There are many goyim who are against it. It bothers them very much that things like this will take place. Surgeries, operation of changing kids' sex identity. Many goyim are against it without having Torah, without going to yeshiva. Some of these goyim are not even educated. They don't go to the high school, some of them. Some of them didn't go to university. But they have common sense. What's more important, to be very educated and have a common sense that is totally dead, no common sense whatsoever, or to be not educated but have a great common sense in life? What they call in America book smart or street smart? Who's going to do better in life? People that have street wisdom, everyday wisdom, they are much more productive than just educated people. There shouldn't be a contradiction. You can be educated and at the same time, you can be very educated at the same time. You can be street smart. There are some people like this. But reality, let's conclude and start the lecture. And it's by, by now it's basically all over. But I know people still have some dreams that Trump will pull out some trick. There's going to be a war here, a civil war. A lot of illusions that we all had at one point. It seems that it's not going to happen. So, like I say, they will Im increase the abomination, the heresy. There's going to be more heresy. They will lower by a lot the support to Israel. They will send tons of money to, to the anti-Semite United Nation, which Trump cut their wings completely in the last four years. They didn't make a beep, if you realize. Before that, every hour, there was something to say against Israel. They were very quiet in the last four years. Why? Because they realized we already got Trump angry enough. He cut 80% of our budget. We better not talk. That's the language they understand is hypocrite. The Democrats will cancel the wall between us and Mexico. They're not obviously not going to continue to build it, to build it which means more drugs will come into this country, 
more illegal immigrants, more problem, more crime, unfortunately. And it's going to be a lot of anti-Semitism. Why? Because the economy will be horrible. What's going to happen now? It's going to be horrible economy. And when the economy is horrible, always, always the Jews pay the price. So the Jews have to start preparing to leave this country. They have to be prepared. I didn't say they have to leave yet, but they have to be prepared. The biggest problem now that it's hard to get prepared. The dollar went down 20%, so we, our money is worth 20% less. It means that if you needed to buy a, a, a nice apartment in Israel for a million dollars, meaning you sell your house in Brooklyn and you go to Israel and buy a house for a million dollars, the house in Israel will cost you now 1.2 million in six months. And two more months from now, it's probably going to be 1.4 million. In six months from now, it's probably going to be 1.8 million, right? Because the dollar collapsed. Why the dollar collapse? What do you expect? They will print a trillion dollar and give it to people here and the dollar will remain the same? It goes down. Plus there are rumors that China, Iran and some other countries, they're about to drop the dollar as a currency, a, 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 a reserve currency. And that will be the end of us. Because if something like this happened, then the dollar will have zero value, nothing. You can only use it in America. You would like to go on a trip overseas, your money will buy nothing. It's similar to people in Venezuela now. If they want to buy a ticket from Venezuela to New York, it's only five hours flight. They have to work a year for that ticket. A year, from morning to night, ten hours a day just to buy one-way ticket, which would be, I don't know, $400, $500. No, nobody makes money there. They're lucky the government give them oil for free, meaning gasoline. They have gas, so they give people gas for free. They wanted to charge a quarter for a gallon. There were riots and shooting all over the country. Nobody in Venezuela pay rent now, for years already. No rent. People invaded their houses. If you're a landlord, you may have an apartment that worth half a million dollars, but nobody pays you rent, and there's nothing you can do. You can't sue them in court. Similar to what happened here. Already for one year, most people don't pay rent and mortgage, and they pass a temporary law that the banks cannot do anything about it. They can't sue anyone, they cannot do foreclosures. There's nothing you can do about it. Imagine when finally the banks will get the okay to go after people that did not pay them the mortgage. What will happen six, seven, eight months later, especially in Republican states? Over there, they throw the tenants quickly after two months. They're out of the house. Here in New York, they will always help the criminals against the righteous people. So if it's a decent landlord who worked very hard in his life, to buy an apartment and he rented to some criminal crook that has the money but take advantage because of the situation he doesn't pay the rent. The liberal judge here in New York 
will allow the Temnen to squeeze his heart another year until he will get him evicted. Plus, the landlord will have to pay him after leaving for two years for free, probably six months in advance for him to agree to leave. That's the laws of Sodom. Sodom and Gomorrah, that's their laws. If you think the laws in Israel are any better, think again. This week I heard the Supreme Court of, in Israel, after months of strong arguments in Israel about it, they pass a law now that the hospitals must allow chametz into the hospital on Pesach, on Passover. There was a, a law that for decades that no chametz is allowed into hospitals in Pesach. There's a lot of religious patients over there. They kosher kosher the, the, the hospital and they can bring chametz for, for, for seven days into the hospital. As I told you many times in the past, the most wicked people in the whole world is the Israeli Supreme Court. In America, they're not all wicked. Five judges are okay, and four are wicked. In Israel, all nine are wicked. Very, very wicked. Worse than Paro, worse than anyone you can imagine. The damage that they go and make to the Torah and to the followers of God cannot be described in words. 99% of the rulings they made since Israel became a state was directly against Hashem. You won't find more wicked people than them. They're all lefty, radical, liberal, Torah haters. And they say, they, they brag, you need the Supreme Court to be strong, to protect the minorities from the strong, from the majority. Very convincing. So human, such humanity. Who they protect? Minority number one, Arabs, when thousands of them are terrorists, call for our destruction to slaughter our babies. They did everything they can to protect them. Second minority, hundreds of thousands of gays. They did everything they can to make their life paradise against the righteous people. Every ruling was for them. There's now one time a ruling for the Torah. Never. What other minorities? Every wicked minority in Israel, they protect. One minority they hate very much. People that walk with yarmulke on their head. Every time a religious matter arrives to them, immediately already know what they rule. You don't need to be smart to know. Now here is another example. What's the example? They say this Israel is a democracy. You cannot force your opinion on people who are not interested to be religious. But they forgot to mention that from day one, since Israel became a state, Israel wrote, wrote that we are forming a Jewish democratic state. That's the declaration of independence of Israel. Medina Yehudit Democratit. Not one thing is Jewish in Israel. Nothing is left. 
There's no Shmirat Shabbat, there's no kosher food, there's official law, there is no nothing. Nothing is Jewish. Only religious people keep the Jewish laws. But the goal was, and the first funders of Israel, Meir Dizingoff and others and Ben Gurion, as wicked as they used to be, as communist, as Zionist as they used to be, you can read their letters. It's all published. They wrote, Israel is a Jewish state. Everybody must keep the Sabbath in public, in Pharisia. In public, the laws of the Jewish religion must be kept. You want to be secular? Do it in your home. That's called, in Hebrew, the status quo. Meaning, respect the Jewish law in public. Why? I want to ask you a question. Bergurion wasn't Shomer Shabbat. He didn't eat strictly kosher. Also Meir Dizingoff. Why would they write, make sure not to open your business on Shabbat, Shabbat is what kept the Jewish nation, and, and they survived thanks to Shabbat. Ben Gurion himself speaks highly about Shabbat, but he was Mechalel Shabbat. Meir Dizingoff wrote, businesses that will not respect the Shabbat will have big problems, they break the law. But he himself was not Shomer Shabbat. So what is going on? This is a, is a major contradiction here. The answer is, no, 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 don't ever be fooled by these crooks. They never had any intention to defend or respect the Jewish law, or God. Many of them are communists and have no connection whatsoever to religion. They knew that if we will not declare Israel as a Jewish state, People from all over the world would like to immigrate to Israel, which is paradise. We made it paradise. And they will become the majority. And they'll take over. Because democracy, the majority can take over. So 30, 40 years, we'll build everything here. There will be millions of Arabs. They give birth to eight, nine kids per family. There will be many Europeans who move to Israel, and Americans, and who knows how many. And one day it's going to be a majority of non-Jews. And they will say, wait a minute, why Israel is a Jewish state? We are the majority. We want to make it a Christian state. We are the majority. We want to make it a Muslim state. You are the minority. You have six million Jews, and we are eight million Arabs. Muslim, Israel should change the flag, change the anthem, and we will, we will form the government. That's the risk in having democracy. The minority can one day become the majority. So if the minority is a loyal citizen to the country, okay, at least they're not interested to hurt the country. But if a large portion of this minority declare that they won't rest until they slaughter all Jews. <laughs> They're not hiding their intention. Once we get the power, we would not leave one of you alive. That's what they say every day. Dem that means democracy is a very big risk to the future of Israel. Even in America it's a huge risk. You see what's happening here now. But forget America for a minute. In Israel, it's a, it's a, a risk 
on our existence. If the country or not will remain is one thing. If we would be able to live, we are in a very serious jeopardy. So those Zionists, communists, who was nothing religious about them, they made sure always to declare Israel as a Jewish state. Meaning we are the owners. We allow you to live here when we occupy the Western Wall and East Jerusalem. We call you Arabs to come back. You can get an Israeli citizenship, live here, vote, have rights. We're not kicking you out of your home. We are human. We are not cruel. We are not invading. We only return back to our homeland. But we don't kick you out. But constantly they did everything to destroy every religious Jewish law. Until today, nothing in the general rules of Israel has any connection to the Torah. Nothing. There's no more Torah in Israel. I'm talking according to the government and their control and their system. Even one thing like this, that you have to keep the laws of Kashrut in Pesach, in the hospitals, is no longer no longer in existence. Question is, I want to ask you a question. You know, last time we read in the Torah that the Constitution was very wicked and anti-God. Where was it? Where did they make laws on purpose that every one of their laws will be against the Creator of the world? In what place? Sodom. Sodom, Sodom, Raim v'chataim l'Hashem, Sodom and Gomorrah. They made sure that even some of their laws will be against human logic. Why? Just to get the Torah of Hashem on purpose to contradict it. They made all kinds of strange rules, like you cannot have guessed. What can, there's a lot of wicked countries in the world, but they will never make a law that you cannot have guessed. What do I care if you have guests or not? It's your problem. You want to feed people? Feed them from your money. Why would I care about it? I don't care. But God says it's mitzvah to have guests. I make it forbidden. God says two men cannot get married. I make it a mitzvah. God says people cannot live with animals. I make it totally permitted. That's what they did. Who went and became a judge in Sodom? A Jew. A Hasidi Shayid. Hasidi Shayid became a judge in a criminal law of Sodom. Reminds me of someone. The question is, the day that Lot became a judge in Sodom, that's when Hashem went and destroyed him. But they were wicked for 52 years before. 52 years they get God angry non-stop every second. He did not wipe them out yet. The day the Jew joined the court, Hashem said enough is enough and went and did what he did to them. Sent the angel to get him out in the merit of Abraham Avinu 
and destroy Sodom and burn all these wicked people alive. Don't you see something here doesn't add up? What's the connection? Lot, when he joined the court, he was still partially righteous. He was the nephew of Avram Avinu. He only left him recently. He grew up in the house of Avram Avinu. He, he himself loved to have guests. He himself has some ideology from his righteous uncle that he learned at home while he was a child. He himself had at least the knowledge what God likes and what he hates. So finally a Jewish religious judge joined the court. That should make the court better or worse? It should make the court better, no? At least as a person who is God-fearing, partially, is Hasidish, no? So he, he at least understands what God loves and what God hates. He went to good yeshiva, he or she. They learned some good fundamental principles. Why, when the Jews supposedly come to improve the wicked court, that's when Hashem drowned them with a huge punch. Do you ask yourself this question or no? Why is it? No. Everything you say, it's everything you say, it's correct and makes sense. But you'll be surprised when you hear the answer. You'll be surprised. What's the answer? All generations, there was wicked constitutions in the world. Not only there, in some other places as well. The Goim forgot the seven laws of Noah. They did all kinds of horrible crimes. Idol worshipping, sex crimes, all kinds of things like that. How did the Jews manage when they live in countries with such corrupted, wicked court? What does the Torah say when you live among wicked people, villains? What do you do? Im naval, tit naval. You have a crook like Lavan. Yaakov is the symbol of honesty. Innocent, learning Torah, come from a good family, hardworking person, very decent. He is now head to head with the biggest crook on earth. Lavan Arami. What does he say to Rachel? I am your father's brother to his tricks. Don't worry. When I deal with crooks like that, I will know how to trick them. Why? With, with crooks, you must go in their way. Just like the Ramah. There was a Dayan in a Bed Din 500 years ago. 
in Tzfat, it was in Tzfat, where did, no, not, the Rama, where was he, Dayan? He was in Warsaw, did he make Aliyah to Eretz Yisrael or no? He, he passed very young in his 30s. Doesn't matter, he was a Dayan in his place, and a crook came, he was an owner of a motel, and some Jews left some, some uh, you know, belongings by him, and he denies it. Doesn't want to give it back. So, no, he didn't give it to me. I don't know what you're talking about. The Ramah saw that he's dealing with a crook here. And he saw that he's sniffing tobacco. He has this nice silver box. Well, you know, it was very much in style, this tobacco. People sneeze and wakes them up. It reminds me of Rav Kaduri. Tonight it's his Yorzai. He used to do it. The Iraqis, they are very good with this. Moroccans and Iraqis with this tobacco. They sneeze a lot. Hasidim also? Friday night. The Hasidim become Moroccans on Friday night. Okay, good. Whatever, it's waking up people, some of them in Yom Kippur. Okay. Silver box. The Rama saw that the crook has a nice box with tobacco. And he said to him, Oh, I see you have superb tobacco. Can I take some? Since when a judge is supposed to tell the defendant, give me some tobacco, that's already make the trial not legal. But he was clever. Im naval, tit naval. We have a villain here, a crook. He's not admitting to stealing and there's no witnesses. But I know these righteous people will not make a story. But I have to get it out of him. So he took some tobacco, put it on the table. The guy forgot about it already. He continued to argue. He said to his shamash, the Ramah, run quickly to his home. Tell his wife, your husband is in big trouble in a bed din, in a court. He asked me to, to come quickly to you and take all the stuff that he took from those Jews. And the proof that he sent me is that he gave me his personal tobacco box. <laughs> so he ran quickly to the wife. And he showed her the box, this is from your husband, the initials, everything is there. Yes, your husband is in big trouble. He told me, run quickly, get all the stuff I took from these Jews before it's going to be too late for me. He brought everything in one sack. He gave it to the Ramah, and they said to the guy, so you denying? You still don't admit? Okay, you can go home. What do you mean you can go home? We got it all here. Here, take it. Let's call him Naval Tit Naval. You have a villain? You don't come to a villain and say, let's stick to the Torah, let's have Irat Shamaim, let's be righteous. He's allergic to Torah. The more you mention Torah, the more he's going to get anti. So, why, what am I actually telling you here? So, it's going like this, listen. When the Jews saw that the courts in every country was always against religion, always, right? How did they manage to convince the judge to be fair, not to take their side, just to follow the rules and not to be an anti-Semite? How? Bribe. Bribe is not such a nice word. Your honor, we got five Arabic great horses. 
One is extra. We would like as appreciation to give it as a gift to the judge in the holiday of Christmas. <laughs> the Gemara brings cases like this. Donkey, this, that. And the judge take the gift and will rule honestly. Not that he's going to take their side, God forbid, that's already too much to ask. Judge, I have to pay you to be a fair judge, to follow the real justice. No. But when Lot came into the court, he's not going to receive bribe. He grew up in the house of Abraham Avinu. And it's not going to happen. Then it's the end of everything. Because now there is no way to make justice, even not by paying for it. Do you understand? Do you understand what I'm saying here or no? Until now, if the court is going against someone, he can pay them, I'm paying you to be fair. Once you have a judge that is strictly Hasidish, he's not going to take bribe. And if he's not going to take bribe, this court is ruled doomed to be destroyed. What happened? Hashem destroyed them. You know, in Israel, there's always this war against the Talmidei Yeshivot. They fight the Yeshivot, fight all the time. They speak against the Yeshivot, the Yeshivot. How much a student in university receive from the government to become a student, do you know? 104,000 shekel, which is about $35,000, something like this. I think for all four years. But the, but the learning in Israel is not America, you know. It doesn't cost even 10% of what it costs over here. So basically it covers almost most of his, of, of his uh, tuition. How much a Bachur Yeshiva receive a month from the government? About $150, $160. They even lower that. How much is that a year? $1,300, $1,400 a year. That's it. So that Bachur, the students get 20 times more. Most students are very wicked people such as Hamas terrorist, radical Muslim who call for the destruction of Israel, plenty of gays who makes God angry at the entire country, and listen carefully what they learn in university. You ready? Doctorate about the Greek law. Oh wow, it's saving the future of Israel. The Greek law. Who cares about the Greek law? How, do you, how exactly is going to serve the state of Israel that you pay 104000 for this gay guy to be a doctor of Greek law? We're not living in Greece with all the respect. What do we need to learn this? Or art history. Leonardo da Vinci. Beautiful. Uh, all these, uh, what do you call them? All these great uh, artists. Uh, what's his name? The one... Uh, Picasso. Huh? Picasso. Picasso. All these people. 
He can tell you every picture, what mood the painter was when he made that picture. Oh, beautiful. You can learn that on Google. If I was interested in that, give me a day, I'll tell you everything you want to know about these people. I learn, I print about the work, everything you want to learn, I mark with my yellow marker, just like here. Do my homework and I come give you next time, next week, a great lecture about art. Without going four or five years to art history in university and spend a hundred thousand dollars on it. Or, or, what else do they learn? What else do they learn? If you see the list of the things that they learn, you will never believe. Sport. So I, my eye is not on what they learn. You want to learn this, this is what makes you happy. Be my guest. Our taxes has to sponsor it. Hashem irachem, what can we do? It is what it is. But why when we want to learn Torah, you're going crazy for the little that you give. What's going on here? No matter what, in the end it comes down to one subject. What is it? How much the Ami Aratzot hate Torah. The ignorant people, how much they hate Torah. There is a question. Throughout history there were many anti-Semite goyim who hated Jews to the highest level of hatred. If you try to compare the hate of the Goim to the Jews and the retaliation of the Jews in their hate to the Goim, there's nothing to compare. Because if a Goy come to the Jew and say, listen, I'm leaving you alone from now on. I'm not going to kill you. I'm not going to burn your places. I'm not going to steal your property. I will give you freedom. In one second, the Jew will tell him, Shkoyach, shake his hands, and that's it. There will be, in one minute, he will be willing to forgive. Baruch Hashem, he left us alone. Those anti-Semites, no matter how much you beg them and try to be nice, it's just not going away. Why? Alacha esav sonel Yaakov. That's it. Hashem made their DNA of the world like this. But the question is, we have a rule that if somebody hates you, if you will start being nice to him, show him some, you know, kindness, give him compliments, Slowly, slowly, he will retaliate in the same way. So w there were many, many Jews who were very, very nice to the Goim, try to do everything they can to get their anger down. It did not help. So the question that we have to ask, why is it? The answer is because, because in every Jew, there is a little bit of Esav in him. But in the Goim, there is no little bit of Yaakov in them. That's the reason. Every one of us, 10%, 20%, depending on the person, has in his mixture something from Esav. But those anti-Semite Goim, Nazis, all these terrorists, they do not have even a drop of Yaakov in them. But some of these goyim are totally Jewish. They just don't know it. Or they have some Jewish into them. That's why some of them are nice. Some of them are not against Israel. Even in Poland, when they murdered three million Jews over there approximately, 
some Polish risk their life to hide Jews in their basements. Some of them did it for the money. The Jews say, we're going to pay you every month some money, hide us in your basement. It's a life risk, you have to bring them food. So they brought them some bread, and they survived one year, two years in their basement. What happened if the, if the money ran out? It was from their saving. Eventually their money ran out. Some, now the Polish, they had a, it, it was a catch-22 for them. They cannot throw them out of the house in the middle of the day because once they found out, they were, where were you until now? How come we didn't kill you yet? Where you showed up from? In one second, they'll say, we stay by the house, or, by the house of this family. Right away, they'll come and kill all of them. So they can't turn them into the authorities. They cannot kick them out of their house, but they also, the last thing they want is to continue to feed them for a few more years for free. So what did they do? Kill them. Some of them, middle of the night, they came, bunch of them, choked them, killed them, and that was the end of it. But some of them did not do that. They were good people. So, no, okay, look, you don't have, you don't have. I have to feed you until it's going to be over. And they actually took care of them. And some of them got a prize. They call Hasideh Umot Haolam, righteous Gentile. They have like a special uh, a wall in Israel with the name of all these goyim who saved Jews in a war. A lot of them were Polish. Even though some Polish were more cruel than the Nazis, some Polish people were very good people. So you see by the goyim, you have either this or you have this. It can be very big difference between two brothers. Two Polish brothers. One is a Nazi, the other one is an angel. Why is it? Only Hashem knows. But the Gemara say, who hate the rabbis more? The goyim or the ignorant Jew? When you hear such a question, you get a little bit insulted. If you are a secular Jew, Israeli, Chiloni, and somebody comes to you and say, who do you think hates the religious people more? You or Yasser Arafat, the head of the PLO? He will get insulted by the question. But what can I do that the Gemara say the hatred of the ignorant Jews to the high scholar of Torah is the highest level of hatred. And what their wives hate them, it's even more. Usually she is the one who push her husband into that. Why is it? Why is it? Why would an ignorant Jew hate a rabbi? You're not religious. The rabbi told you the truth in your face. You don't like it. Don't listen. Why does it bring them to such a high level of hate? The answer is, is the guilt. Conscience. The conscience kill a person. Even very cruel people have some conscience left in them. I'll give you an example. Throughout history, throughout history, when wicked, evil people executed a hostage, they always gave him, what is your last request? 
before execution. Who care about your last request? I hate you and I want to kill you. I want steak and a glass of red wine and a German newspaper. Whose request was this? Adolf Eichmann in Machshimo, before they executed him in Israel. In 20 minutes, they're going to hang him and burn his body. And he eats steak and drink red wine and read German newspaper. You tell a Jew, in one year, you're going to be executed. From the minute he, will find, he found out, what does he do? Leave his job, leave everything, run to the rabbi. What should I do? I'm about to leave the world. Let me do tshuva before it's too late. What does he do? No apology, no regret. He's interested what they say about him in Germany. In one hour, they're going to burn you. What is the stake going to help you right now? Amalek. What do you expect? <sighs> so Jews, when they execute many of them throughout history, they had an opportunity to have a final request. One of the requests that one of the rabbis made was, give me a glass of water. So he got the water, and the goyim were laughing. What a stupid Jew. We're going to kill him in a minute, and he needs a glass of water. What, do you worry to be thirsty after we kill you? Right or wrong? Similar to this Eichmann, the fool. But the Jew wanted a glass of water only for one reason, not for the water. For the bracha to thank Hashem. Baruch Atah Hashem, Elokeinu Melech HaOlam, Shehakol Niyah Bidvaro. Everything that happened and will happen is all according to Hashem's word. Include my death right now. And he drank. By animals, when they kill each other, there's no final request. Did you see when a, when a fox comes to the chickens, he's about to attack them? Once he grabs the chicken in his teeth, I'm giving you 30 seconds to do vidui. What is your final request? There's no such thing. When the lion attacks uh, some zebra or something, there's no final request. Only by human being, what is your final request? There was one thief in Baghdad. Ben Ishchai brought that story. There was a king over there, and this king was caught stealing. The, the thief was what called stealing. Over there, execution for stealing. So the king is about to hang him. He comes to see how they prepare the rope. And the thief said to the king, Your Majesty, before you kill me, I have a secret that I don't want to take with me to the grave. If you give me five minutes with you, I will tell you at least the secret to help humanity. If I die, no one will ever know it. The king said to him, What uh, secret you have? He said, I know how to take a seed from a tree, plant it in the ground, and immediately within a day, the tree will all grow up and bloom with fruits instead of three years. 
<laughs> the king laughed. The king said, what do you think, I have time for your jokes? He said, well, you want to try? I'll prove it to you. Yes, I want to try. Go bring some clementine seeds or apple or, or, or oranges. Take the seeds from inside. Everybody stands. So it cannot be that this thief is so stupid, he's going to make a show here and nothing will happen. Let's see the trick. So he takes the seed and he says, ladies and gentlemen, this goes by generation in our family, my father, my grandfather. Before I leave the world, I would like to give you this secret. But there's only one condition. The hand that pushed the seed into the ground must be a hand of a person that never ever stole in his entire life. Not even a dollar. Had to be clean hands. If the hands are clean, the tree will grow in one day. Let's start with the Minister of Treasury. <laughs> Here you go, sir. <laughs> he went like this, he looks around. He said to the king, listen, your majesty, you know, I'm dealing with millions and millions. I'm sure I made a few mistakes, dollar here, dollar there. So let's not waste your time. Okay, let's go to the minister of defense. He said, well, your majesty, you know, when I was a kid, my father one time sent me to, to the market to buy some food and I bought myself some candy. Is that considered stealing? If that's the case, then I'm also a thief. Everyone he came to, I did not do this. I took books from the library and did not return. So, okay, your majesty, uh, what can I tell you? I'll give you the honor. <laughs> he gave it to the king. Please. The king said, the king said, I see that, Baruch Hashem, you are very smart. So why smart brain like you is wasting his time on stealing. How about you come work for me? <laughs> he got a great upgrade. A great upgrade. It's... Uh, the Benish has a lot of beautiful stories like this. But we got the point, no? We found Baruch Hashem in this parasha, Moshe Rabbeinu is a prince. He goes by the house of the king. Paro that wanted to kill him before he was even born was decreed to actually raise him in his house. What you think he can go against Hashem? Hashem is actually going to use you to serve his purpose. Chazal say the pasuk vayar besivlotam. Moshe saw the suffering of the Jewish nation. Now remember, Moshe is, a, is an Egyptian prince. He's a Jewish kid. And he grew up like an Egyptian in a palace. One day Moshe walks by the sne, by the bush. The bush is burning. But it's not being dissolved. It's remained full. How can it be? It's a miracle. So what happened? The Torah says, Hashem kisar lirot. Hashem saw that Moshe came to look at the bush, at the burning bush. When Hashem saw that Moshe came to look at the burning bush, he called him and told him to take off his shoes. Something doesn't add up here. Hashem spoke to Moshe because he was curious? 
what mitzvah it is to be curious. Moshe saw a burning bush. He was curious. He came to look. I would also run to look. How can it be? What mitzvah did I do to deserve for Hashem to talk to me? Hashem doesn't speak to a person unless he has a major, major, major credit. It sounds from the Torah that thanks to the fact that Moshe was curious to look at the bush, after he came to look, Hashem spoke to him. It cannot be. The Gemara deals with this. The Gemara says, kisar lirot. Hashem saw that Moshe came to look. Came to look at what Chazal say? Of the suffering of his brothers and sisters in the in the camps, slavery camps, not on the bush. Well, it's nothing extraordinary to come look at the burning bush that still remain a bush. Vayar Hashem, the Moshe left the palace with his nice fancy clothes and servants and came to help them to pick up the beans and the construction site. Came to work with them every day. Moshe could have sent the money. Take a messenger, go find some people that are really miserable, give them food, give them money. But I'm not going to make my hand dirty. I'm a prince. Every day he came to work. Hashem saw that he cared. That's when he came to speak to him. What do you see from here? If you're a bad human being, you'll never have the presence of Hashem in your life. When did Hashem speak to Moshe? From the minute he felt mercy on people, which they're technically strangers for him. He only know that he's a Jew. I was adopted by Paro. Why do I have to ruin my career of going to help people in a construction site? What can one man do for millions of slaves? Why will I jeopardize my loyalty to my stepfather, Paro? There's a lot of questions here. It's not politically correct to do such thing. Maybe one reporter will take a picture and place it on his Facebook page. And everyone in Egypt will say, we have a traitor among us. He goes to help the Jews in Auschwitz. Imagine the son of Hitler would go now to help the Jews in Auschwitz and somebody would take a picture of him, right or wrong? But Moshe did not do calculation. He went to work with them. He went to work with them. So Hashem came to him in a burning bush. He told him to take off his shoes. 200 years ago, one Karite, you know the Karites, they believe in a written Torah, but they don't believe in the oral Torah. This is, by the way, extremely, extremely stupid. Extremely stupid. It's one thing, you're Muslim, you grew up in Arab, they brainwash you with the Quran, you believe it's a, man, it's a, it's a book of a prophet. Okay, you're not educated in Torah enough. You're not clever enough to see that it contradicts the Torah in many places. It can never be the book of God. Not every Muslim understands to investigate and find out the Quran is man-made religion. So, you follow it blindly. But Karaites is extremely, extremely stupid claim. Why? 
because there's no such thing to believe in a written Torah without the oral Torah. Why? Because you have 613 commandments written in a written Torah and you do not have even one explanation about one of them, how to fulfill the mitzvah. You don't know how to make tefillin. Do you know how many things you have to know to prepare the tefillin? Thousand different steps you have. How to write, spaces, what ink to use, with the, what kind of feather you have to write, how you make the cloth, how you process it. So many things. One of those thousand instructions you did incorrectly, it's completely pasul. It's like nothing, like you didn't put filling. One letter is missing, not filling. One tiny mistakes you made, not filling. Where does it say all this? Check in the entire written Torah, you won't find it. How to slaughter animal, all the laws, what to check, doesn't say. How to write Sefer Torah. There is so many halachot, if you do not write it correctly, it's not kosher. You worked a year and a half from morning to night to write. In the end, you did not leave enough space from one parasha to another. It's not kosher. Where is all these laws? It's not in a written Torah. You want to circumcise the baby. How? When? By whom? What time? What happened if his brother was circumcised and he died? By men? By a woman? By a Jew? By a goy? What happened if it's on Shabbat? So many things to know. None of it is written in a written Torah. So to come and say, I believe in a written Torah, but I don't believe in the oral Torah, it's like someone that has a house with two doors. Two doors. He has the key for the outside door, but after he opened it, there's one more door. He doesn't have the key to that door. And he can never enter the house. He lives in a dream. I have the key. You fool. This key is worthless without the other one. What does it help you to have the key? You have the written Torah. What will you learn from the written Torah? How? One sentence over there, you understand what it means? No, you don't understand anything. So the Karaites, they wanted to have a debate with the Orthodox Jews in front of the king in Europe, in Vilna over there. So they came to the smartest Jew in the world. Who was it? The Gaon in Vilna. The Gaon. They didn't even have to say his name. His name was Rabbi Eliyahu Kramer. Nobody almost knew his name because everybody called him the genius, the Gaon. Imagine 50, 60 years, where you go? Where are you going? I'm going to ask a question from the gown, the gown, the gown, the gown, the gown, the genius. By now, nobody remembers your name, because nobody calls you by your name. So they came to the gown Mivilna and said, We need somebody sharp. Would you go to that debate? He said, I don't have time to waste my time on fools. I'll send one of my students. So he sent one of his students, which was a sharp guy. Listen carefully, this has actually happened. He came to the debate 
before they enter the room of the king, they have antique Persian rugs, you know, very fancy. So everyone wants to take off their shoes outside and walk in with socks. So the Karite took off, out his shoes, left them outside. All the servants left their shoes outside. The Jew also took off his shoe, the, the, the Orthodox Jew, but he held them in his hand. And he walked into the room of the king holding his two stinky shoes with his hands. <laughs> he wore about $20 shoes. It wasn't exactly Italian custom-made shoes. You know, Talmud Yeshiva, what kind of shoes he's buying? He's holding the shoes like it's diamonds. Right away, the wicked Karite is allergic to ultra-Orthodox people as it is. It's similar to the reform today. And he said to the king, you see what I'm talking to you about? Look at these religious Jews. Look at them. Ugh, I can't believe it. His stinky shoes, $20 in Walmart. If there was Walmart 200 years ago. Made in China. And he's holding them like, like the king wants to steal his shoes. Do you see? He's making fire. The king is very curious. He said to him, Rabbi, you afraid that me or my servants will steal your shoes? You worry that we don't have enough shoes? The rabbi said to the king, absolutely not, your majesty. The last person in the world I'm worried about is you. I'm worried about him. He's for sure going to steal my shoes. <laughs> so the king said, why would he need your shoes? You're not even the same size. He said, let me explain to you why I'm doing it. 3,100 3, years ago, this was 200 years ago. 3,100 years ago, the legendary Moses walked and saw a burning bush. I'm sure you read about it in the Bible, no? When he came to see this marvelous thing, Magical moment, the bush is burning, but it's remaining. He, God came to him and said, take off your shoes, leave them out there, because this place is holy. Moses left his shoes down the hill, and when he came back, he found out that these people, the Karaites, came and stole his shoes, and he had to walk all the way home barefoot. The Karaites screamed, no! It's a lie! He's a deceiver! It's manipulation! I can't hear these lies! The king said, why are you so upset? Because 3,100 years ago there was no carites in the world! We only started 800 years ago! The orthodox student said to the king, Your majesty, did you hear their stupidity? He comes to argue with me which way is the authentic way of God. And he just admitted that they are a cheap fake. <laughs> they only started 100 years ago. They have no idea what they're talking about. They come to teach us after 3,100 years how to be religious? The king said to the Karai, my friend, I'm afraid you lost the debate before it even started. Get out of my face throw him out. And that was the end of it. That was the end of it. The Chafetz Chaim, everybody knows the Chafetz Chaim, he lived about a hundred years ago in Radim, 
רב שלום שוודרון was the speaker of the generation 34 years ago. You hear some of his speeches are actually recorded and was put on YouTube. Just hearing his voice, you feel like someone is injecting electric into your heart. Magid. Magid. A few great speakers, one of them, Rav Galinsky, Rav Shvadron, they are famous speakers. But Rav Shvadron used to bring fear into your heart with the way he was speaking. And he comes from a family of big rabbanim as well. He spoke about the Chafetz Chaim, and he said one of the boys in Yeshiva of Radin was sick. What did, what did he have? Epilepsy. He keeps falling and fainting. He came to the Chafetz Chaim, and he said to him, I have a horrible trouble. Very bad sickness. The doctors have no remedy for my problem. He cries to the rabbi, What's going to be with me? Will I ever get cured? Will I ever get married? Who will take me the way I am? The Chafetz Chaim was frozen and he asked him, what are the doctors saying? Give me some update. After a while, the Chafetz Chaim came to this boy and he said to him, you told me you're suffering from epilepsy. I have an advice for you. But I'll tell you the advice in one condition. That you promise me that you will never tell anyone in the world never ever how you got cured from your disease. If you accept on yourself to keep it a secret for life, I will tell you what to do. What would the guy say? What's the question, Rabbi? Of course, I will never dare to say. Hafez Chaim said, go to that city. Go to the house of Rabbi such and such. Tell him what your problem is and ask him to give you a blessing. He will give you a blessing and right after that, Bezrat Hashem, you will be cured. But remember the condition. You never tell anyone how you got cured. Of course not, Rabbi, of course. So, the, guy, the boy went to that city. He came to the house of that Rabbi. He told him, Hafez Chaim sent me over there. The Rabbi gave him a warm blessing. Shortly after, he got cured completely from this disease. Few years passed by, he got married. He has a family now. His wife's sister also had epilepsy. The family knew that in his history he had such a problem. So they came to him and said, share with us how you got cured. Which doctor you used? What medicine you took? What hospital you went to? Who took care of you? And he's avoiding them. They can say, oh, you don't understand, I can't. The family will not leave them alone. They want to kill their daughter. Again and again and again, pressure, tension, fights. They say, you're looking at your sister-in-law suffering like this and you can be so cruel? What, you don't want her to feel better? What kind of a person you are? 
every day they send people, they send rabbis. Son, why do you care to tell the secret? It's nothing to do with you. He said to himself, what does the Chafetz Chaim care? If, by the way, I will save the life of another girl, Jewish girl, that suffers so much. I'm sure he wouldn't mind. He was very happy. He hesitated, but in the end he said, okay, let me tell you. I'm not a doctor and I'm not a professor. Not, not a doctor and not a professor cured me. I went to that city. The rabbi of that city gave me his blessing and right away I got cured. Soon as he finished the story, boom, he fell and fainted. He got it back. When he saw what happened to him, he ran quickly to Hafez Chaim. Good, you are focused tonight. So he went to the Hafez Chaim and started to cry to the Hafez Chaim. My sister-in-law got epilepsy. Her family pressured me non-stop until it was awkward. I just could not hide the secret anymore. It was a family matter. And in the end, I told them what happened and now I became sick. Please help me, Rabbi. The Chafetz Chaim heard it and started to have tears. He said, son, I really cannot help you anymore. One time I was able, but this time I won't be able to. Why, Rebbe? The Jew begged. Why? You send me to a righteous person. No, send me again to whenever you want, I'll go. He said to him, Chafetz Chaim had a bitter, a bitter smile. He said to him a few years ago when you came to me in the yeshiva, you told me you, you have epilepsy and the doctors cannot cure your problem. After you left, I tortured myself 40 days in a row. I fasted for you with, with crying to Hashem from morning to night, begging Him to cure you. But back then I was young and I had some strength. Now I'm very weak and old. I cannot fast anymore. That's why I cannot help you. Why the Chafetz Chaim sent him to that rabbi? That rabbi had nothing to do with this. Because he wanted to cover the fact that this person got cured against the law of nature by a complete miracle thanks to him. Today we do nothing and we would like to steal the credit for it. <laughs> right or wrong? Back then it was a different world. Hafez Chaim saved his life and was hiding it. He will never tell a person, you know, you see this guy? Every day he used to fall a few times. I cured him. No, no, no. Different kind of people. Humility is very important. Humility, Abotai, is very important in the life of a Jew. When people are proud and arrogant, they can never take criticism from anyone. 
they won't respect the older, they won't care about their advice. Logically, they understand I'm 20 and he's 60, he has much more life experience than me, and he's not a stupid person, and he's seen everything, and he tells me do or do not do what you want to do. But I know better. Why I know better? Because that's the way the Yetzirah convince you that you're always greater than everyone. You know better, you're the smarter, you know more than anyone. And that's one of the reasons why people today don't respect the authority enough. You have a big Chacham. The Chacham say you can have a vaccine and you have nothing to worry about. You already think you are the scientist of the universe. You begin to criticize the biggest rabbi in the world, writing things about him. On my way here, a pharmacist from Florida sent me a message. All of you are welcome to read it after the lecture. On WhatsApp. He said, I gave hundreds of vaccines. How much they make for each vaccine, I found out now. Do you know how much? Less than a flu shot. How much they make? $10 per person. Two things I, three things I learned from this guy, a pharmacist. One, how much they make on a vaccine. Second, that the laziest people in the world are Americans <laughs> because they only do eight people a day. In Israel, they did two million people in two weeks. Over here, in all United States, million. In all over the United States, there are, in, in, in Israel you have 7 million people, in America more than 400 million. They're giving it out. This is guy is from Florida. I don't know. But listen to what he told me. And I, I can read it to you if you want. I don't want to waste time. It's, it's a long message. He said that they, he gave hundreds of vaccines. And they have a room next door that the people who got the shot should go there for 15 minutes waiting in case there will be some kind of symptom or problem that they will be ready to react. So obviously I right away asked him, no, and what's going on with those vaccines? And not one person had even a minor complaint. No one, nobody died. Nobody got fever, no one fainted, no one was dizzy, and nothing happened. Now one person needed that room. We did not have to give any care to anybody. Hundreds. You may come and say, listen, hundreds is not enough of indication. But in Israel you have two million and none of them had any problem. After two million, you begin to think maybe all the conspiracy theories you listen to in YouTube and all the crooks out there. Do you know how many lies this week was sent to me just this week? I'll tell you. Let me, let me share with you some of them. A <laughs> few days ago, the Pope Francis just got arrested for child trafficking for 80 cases of stealing or kidnapping or raping kids. Pedophilia. When I heard that, the person that told me that, I say to them, I don't believe even 1% this story. Why? Because I did not hear one word about it in the news. 
What's the conspiracy theories, imagination, lovers are always answering? What are they always answering? Yeah, of course, the media hides everything. Well, you really can count on the media? True, the media are the biggest crooks. But one thing, I put my life on it. If they have such a scope that a religious person is walking out of his room with handcuffs, they're going to sell their mother to publish it everywhere they can, you fool. They really think they're going to cover for the pop? All the atheists and all these wicked reporters? Do you think something like this would not leak? I do not believe in it. Today they say hoax, fake news. Of course. Then they say Trump is keeping his last card. What is it? He's in Florida with the army ready to take over the country. <laughs> the army already got the orders and the proof is that the sky of Washington is closed for flights. That's it. It's starting. Be ready, people. <laughs> Poor Trump. Even his right-hand man betrayed him, this Pence. <laughs> he lost all his power. Even to speak, he can't. They took away his Twitter. He had one way to express himself, because the media will always twist his words. The only channel he had to speak to America was Twitter. They blocked him. And they call America democracy, freedom of speech. It's an important to the Constitution that every person will have... You can stand in front of the White House and scream dead to the president, kill the president, chop his head, this freedom of speech. You can stand by the synagogue and scream, Jews, go back to the gas chambers. Freedom of speech. Police come, say, sir, as long as we didn't see any act of violence, there's nothing we can do. One person took one to go in. They took a huge van and wrote swastikas all over, Jews go back to the gas chambers, time to time, Jews kill America, all kinds of things. Police showed up. I don't know if you saw that video. And they said the police, they checked with the lights, there's any guns in the car, sir? No, who owns the car? We rented the car. And they put everywhere. And they say, uh, they asked the Jews, did they attack you? Did they do anything? No, they just screamed that to the Jews all day. Every day they come here for a week and they intimidate people in the shopping center, in the parking lot. The police say, freedom of speech. If there's such a freedom of speech, kill all Jews, kill this, kill that, why is it when you say one word against gays on your Facebook page, immediately you get an mm -hmm. investigation? Warning. You broke our regulation. Why? Because you say it's against the law of nature and against the law of God for two men to get married. The next day they put you off commission. They close your page. I have a student in Israel. He's an activist on social media doing Kiruv. In Israel there was a gay parade. He wrote in his Facebook page, according to the Torah, there is a death penalty to gay activity. That's what the Torah said, death by stoning. It didn't say, go and kill gays. It didn't say, I will kill gays. 
He didn't say gay should we die, we should do something to keep, none of these things. If he would speak like this, then you say, you know what, it's dangerous, maybe it's radical, murderer, terrorist, okay. He just said, it's a religious page, according to the Torah, which all the Goim knows the Torah, is nothing new, and also the secular people. According to the Torah, God said that there is a death penalty by stalling to gay activity. An hour later, the Israeli secret service was knocking on his door. They monitor every comment. They have machines. It's called artificial intelligence. Every time you type something in Google that is scary, immediately they monitor you. A minute later, they can check your bank account, they can check your phone. It's unbelievable. And they found keywords. There's no more judge warrant. You don't need. He's a suspect in terrorism. Immediately, they're allowed to do whatever they want. They found a word, magic word. We suspect is involved with terrorist activity. Oh, no need a warrant. No problem. So, what happened? The police came to his house, Secret Service. What's going on with you? You're planning anything tomorrow in a gay parade? Give us your laptop, give us your cell phone, give, you have other devices here? They took it away from him. We will check it and return it to you if, if, if we find that we can give it back to you. You will hear from us. They kept everything. After the gay parade, they, came, they called him, come pick it up. He went to pick it up. <laughs> he said, be quiet, don't talk about it. We don't want to hear you mentioning it again. Tov? A year later, again gay parade. The guy is calling him on the line. Hey, tomorrow you know what's going to happen, right? I just wanted to make sure you understand our warning to you from a year ago. This is Israel. Democracy. Freedom of speech. Freedom of speech exists only to lefties. They can say whatever they want. Everyone who is a righty or religious, in their eyes, is a leech. A burden. Don't let him speak, don't let him breathe. If they could, they put all of us in the gas chambers. No question about it. Felozzi and all her friends. But the good news is that this is all what Hashem is doing to us. If you think that what happened to us is Como or Di Blasio or Pelosi or Sleepy Joe or any one of them, or Schumer, and the rest of the garbage, you are wrong. And I tell you why you are wrong. When you have a stick, and you hit a dog, the dog is barking and trying to bite the stick, or is trying to bite you? The stick. What happens if you throw the stick to the grass? He's going to chase the stick, and bite it and bark at it for an hour while you're standing over there smiling, what a fool. But he's a dog. What do you expect from him? He didn't go to Harvard. He's a dog. But we are worse than him. We are worse than this dog. Because when the Nazi come and scream dead to the Jews, when these Democrats took over the world, when all these bad things happening to us, instead of blaming ourselves, we blame them. We blame the Arabs, we blame Hitler, we blame all these monsters around us throughout history. And who is to be blamed? 
only us. Because everything that already happened to you, it means that Hashem approved it on Rosh Hashanah. Because He felt that you deserve it 100%. If He was not convinced that you deserve to get it, He will never touch you. Every bullet has an address. Nobody can get married unless, unless Hashem wrote it on Rosh Hashanah. You can never find Shiduch if Hashem doesn't want you. Everything is 100% in Hashem. You make money, you lose money, money can come from here, money can come from there. A lot of us were so happy that the government announced that they're going to send one more check for a few hundred dollars a week or two ago. 600. Wow, such a great government we have. Look how they care about people. They're not only taking, they're also giving. Yesterday I told a story in my lecture about Stalin. You know Stalin? He was Hitler Hevruta. They still Hevruta in Gehenom together. Stalin was very cool. One time he took a chicken, he brought it in front of his entire fence, all of them sitting in a hall, and Stalin started to pull one feather after the other. And the, and the chicken is screaming from pain. Animal cruelty. Another one, and another one, and another one. It's already blood coming out. The chicken became all small and bald. And the people that sit by the audience, every, every time it goes like this, everyone goes like this. Oh, 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 like this. 200 times. Once there was nothing to pull, so at least the torture would be over. Then Stalin took from his pocket few seeds of wheat. And he threw a few of them on the floor, and the chicken quickly started to eat. Forgot about the pain, forgot about the blood. As Stalin was throwing some wheat and started to walk, what do you think the chicken did? Chased him. What a loyal fan. Chase Stalin. Everywhere he goes, the chicken comes after him, next to his leg. Stalin told his followers, I just taught you a lesson on people's stupidity. You kill them, you torture them, you rape them, you break them. You throw them a little candy, a little relief, government check every six months, $600, they become your servant for another year. Look at the chicken. After all the torture I gave her, I gave her a few wheat, now she's willing to follow me to the other side of the world. She's so loyal. Do you understand, Rabotai? The Chafetz Chaim told that boy, I fasted for you 40 days. Cry, pray, but I was young. I was young, I was able, now I'm old, I can't do it for you anymore. The Rebbe from Ponovich, when he was young, he went to learn in Tel's Yeshiva. He passed by the Chafetz Chaim on the way to get a blessing. 
The people of the house told him the Chafetz Chaim is busy right now, soon he will enter the room. As the Ponovich Rebbe was sitting there as a young boy, he heard screaming and crying from the attic, from the top floor. He got so scared. He was shocked. Who is screaming like this? But he saw all the people in the house walking, talking, smiling. Like nothing is happening. All the screams does not bother anyone. He didn't understand. How can it be? No one gets excited. He asked Rav Hirsch, who was Rav Hirsch? The Chatan of the Chafetz Chaim. The son-in-law of the Chafetz Chaim. He passed there. He asked Rav Hirsch, any tragedy happened up there? Who is screaming like this? Rav Hirsch looked at him and saw that he's all shocked and smiled. Rabbi Yosef, you can relax. Nothing special happened. My father-in-law, the Chafetz Chaim, is in the attic praying on a woman that has problem giving birth. He reads Tehillim and he cries to Hashem to send her some remedy. That's how it was yesterday and the day before yesterday and every day since I know him. Hours he will cry for, people, for strangers who came to cry to him about their problem. One of the hardest things being a rabbi, especially a public figure, is to hear all day tragedies of people, suffering of people, all day you hear, non-stop. Mental suffering, physical suffering, financial suffering, shiduchim suffering, raising children suffering, drugs pandemic, lots of problems. After a while, you feel that you have no energy left. I'm talking from experience. No energy left in your body. You can handle the criticism of the wicked people. You can handle the lies that people make up and publish about you. You can handle everything. You get used to everything. You look at them, let the dogs bark. In Israel, they ever say, The dogs will continue always to bark and we will continue to walk and that's how it's going to be always. We're not getting panicked. But when you see people are broken, it takes away all your energy. So what's the only way that you can continue? The only way that you can continue is either, either that you also have a lot of success from the other side. You see people that were very far and you make them Shomrei Shabbat, save their souls, save them from being in hell for eternity, God forbid, from all the sins that they do gave them their share to the world to come, which they lost already, brought them back to Hashem, made Hashem happy that his children came back to him. Most secular people have no idea what they live for. Forget about Shabbat and Tefillin, and, and they have no idea what the purpose of life. After they watch my film, The Purpose of Life, they get the shock of their life. They say, wow, I had no idea what life is about, I thought to make money, to be successful, to get married, to have children, and to enjoy life. That's what I thought. I didn't understand about the soul. I didn't understand every second in life is a test. I didn't understand all this. How could I ever be successful that I have no idea what I'm, I was created for? 
Do I have a chance to succeed? So when you see, you get emails from people, thank you for this, thank you for that, it gives you some balance. And the second thing that can keep you going is fear from Hashem. You have fear. What's the fear? It's like a doctor that's sitting on a plane. He had a very hard month in his office. Another corona patient died, and another one, and another one, and another one. It's not easy. You, you're becoming friendly with your patients, and this one died, and this one died, and she died, and he died. And mentally, it, it eats you up. So you decided to go to Florida on a vacation. You have a vacation home in some quiet area with some lake. You decided to go for a week to clean your head. You leave your phone here, don't call me, put a substitute there, and you go. Now you're on a flight, and they say, there's any doctor on a flight? Someone has a heart condition, we need a doctor on a flight. Sitting over there, so, oh my gosh, I ran away from the trouble, now I have to go take care of someone. You come, yes, I'm a doctor. This person is, I think, we think he has a heart attack. We're going to have to land somewhere else. Atlanta, I don't know where. And you have to go with him to the hospital and spend all day because you, you swore. You became a doctor. You swore. Can't ignore a patient. So why are you doing it? Because you have fear. Either you have fear from God, if you're a God-fearing doctor, or you have fear to lose your license, that someone will recognize you on a flight Hey, this was Dr. Cohen, and he did not come to help the guy, and he died. What will happen to your license? Well, go to Gaza. Maybe you'll be a doctor in Gaza from now on. So, it's very, very tiring mentally, I'm talking, not physically. You know, a person become, by the way, physically tired more from mental fatigue than physical fatigue. If you work in a moving company, like those Israelis, the gorillas, the ex-commando, they pick up pianos, refrigerators, you should see them, I used to know a bunch of them. All day like clients, ah, this, that. The end of the day, they used to come, we used to go play basketball in Upper East Side, York Avenue, 90th Street. For two days, he was picking up furniture on his back. He come like a tiger. You have to see how they run. But people work in an office all day thinking, or someone who learns Gemara for a few hours. Ben Zion, Abba Shaul, could not get up at 7 p.m. after all day of learning from the chair. He said, I don't understand how the yeshivot have seder shlishi. You have Seder Rishon in the morning to the, to the noon, a lunch break. Then Seder Sheni from noon to the evening. Then dinner break. And then from 8 to 10, another two more hours of learning. So I don't understand how anyone have energy left to think. Because he was learning in such a high concentration, he could not get up from the chair. They had to pick him up because it, it, it makes the mind Dream. drained completely. The Chazonish, he had his chair one step from his bed. 
one step and he could not get up from the chair and fall on a bed. Sometimes he used to sit and learn for three days straight without sleeping. He, and he was very skinny, short, skinny, light. He barely ate. Chazonish said, I never felt hungry in my life. Sometimes he would not eat all day because his mind was so deep into the Torah that the body did not exist. It didn't, have, didn't feel. So they nominated a cop, a policeman, someone from the family, that his job or her job was to remind the Chazonish to eat. There was another rabbi like this, that one time they gave him a cookie. Every day they put a cookie over there. Huh? It was the same Chazonish. I don't think it was the Chazonish, just a different rabbi. But that's the same concept, all these holy people. And he did not eat the cookie. So the Shamash, his eye was on that cookie. You know these big cookies? He said, anyway, the rabbi usually don't eat. And if he eats, he doesn't even remember if he ate, because he doesn't eat for the delicious taste. So what's the big deal? I'll eat it, and if he think that, <laughs> you know, he would look at that, he would think he ate it, because he doesn't pay attention. It's not like us coming to the meal. Oh, what do you have in the menu today? Sir, we have the soup of the house. Wow, he's so excited. I once went with a guy, he took me to a restaurant, I said, I must talk to you about an emergency. I said, well, the lecture finished around 10, 10 something. He said, no, it's okay, I'll take you, I need to take you to the restaurant. No, I said, well, let's talk in the No, 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 I take you to the restaurant, we'll eat dinner and we talk. So he ordered a steak, six times he sent the waiter back to the kitchen. First, it's not well done enough. The guy went, he made it a little bit more well done, he ate a piece, it's, oh, it's too well done now. I, I'm sorry, I can't eat it. Listen, I'm a regular here. No problem, sir, we'll make you a new steak. They brought another steak. Can you bring the, the black pepper? Can you put some more? You have this, you have that. Why don't you have a sauce? I said to him, I got embarrassed already from the waiter. Poor guy, keep coming, going. I say to him, what's the big deal? What are you so into the steak? It's going to be perfect or 90% perfect? And so what is this? I pay, and this one was a very rich guy. I pay, I want to get perfect service. Then I told him there are two kinds of people. Some people come to the world, they eat in order for them to live. And some people live to eat. Which one is the Jewish way of the Torah? You eat to live. So whatever you can eat, Baruch Hashem, I won't die. I'm happy. Potato, potato, rice, chicken, fish, whatever comes, comes. Let's not make a big deal out of it. But some people, the only reason they live is for food. What's going to be in breakfast? What's going to be for lunch? What's going to be for dinner? No, no, this fish we ate two days ago. Change, change the menu a little bit. Why is it? All his mind is food. You know these kids from a very young age are very much mm -hmm. into food? So they want to go with their father somewhere. So where are you going? I'm going to this place. What do they have? They have a birthday party. Oh yeah? What's going to be to eat? 
they order sushi and pizza. Oh, can we come? Or you say to them, no, the, what's going to be to eat? The wife makes uh, a little chicken. Chicken? Okay, we don't want to come. Why? They decide if to come or not based on what's going to be served to eat. You know this kind of kid? From a very young age it starts. In the end of the parasha, we'll finish here. In the end of the parasha, this is what it says. Translation. There was Egyptian soldiers and they had Jewish kapos, just like in the Holocaust. They were the Nazi and they were the Jewish police. Their job is to guard the prisoners and make sure everything gets done. If not, they break the bones of the kapo. The capo is so worried about his health and his condition that they were torturing the Jews in a camp more than the actual Nazis. Many people told me over the years, we aided the capos more than we actually aided the Nazis. In order for him to save his skin, he sacrificed the life of many Jews. But some capos were not evil. They used to get beaten up daily just because they didn't want to tell about this Jew and that one, and this one stole some potato peels to eat, this one stole a cigarette, whatever the case was. So now the Egyptians put police. Which one? Jews. And when there was not enough performance in a work, in a job, who used to get beaten up? Those Jews. So they said, why... Why you did not reach what we told you to reach? In a Midrash, this is what it says. That one Jewish policeman was in charge of ten Jews, slaves. And one Egyptian was in charge of ten Jewish police. So each Egyptian is in charge of 100 slaves, right? Ten policemen, 100 slaves. That's the pyramid. That's how it goes. The end of the day... When they see the Jews did not fulfill what they had to, what they were obligated to do, they blamed the police. And they were beating them up with whips. So the police people used to get beaten up worse than the actual slave. But they did not, they did not uh, snitch on the actual slaves, that that's their fault. They didn't do it, this guy's too lazy, this guy's too weak, this guy was sick. They took the blame on themselves, and every day they were beating them up. What was their reward? What reward Hashem gave them? The reward was, at the time that Hashem said to Moshe Rabbeinu, collect for me 70 elders, from the Jewish nation, I want them to be like your government. Moshe said to Hashem, Ribbono Shel Olam, how am I supposed to know who is worthy and who is not? You're the only one who can tell me who should be a leader here. I have no idea. Hashem told him, you know who were the police. 
they gave their body and got all the punches and the wheat to prevent the slaves from suffering. Therefore, you know who to choose to make them the leaders among you. And I will give them which tool I gave them, which tool Hashem gave to this ex-policeman. Huh? Moshe put his hand on them and they got from his prophecy, Ruach HaKodesh. How much are you willing to pay to have Ruach HaKodesh? Huh? If now, let's say you have 10 million dollars on a bank. And I will come and say to you, pay 5 million dollars in one shot and you will have Ruach HaKodesh. You ask, what's Ruach HaKodesh? Person walk into the room, you know exactly everything about him. You know if he's righteous, you know if he's wicked, you look at all his sins in his face. You know what's going to happen, you know what happened. We've seen in our own eyes examples of Ruach Kodesh of rabbis in this generation. One was very famous, the father of Rav Chaim Kanievsky, the holy stipler. In the Yom Kippur War, they brought him a list of 36 soldiers that were fighting in a Chinese farm in Egypt in a very cruel battle. The Egyptians surrounded them. They had maybe an hour or two until they all died. They asked the stipler to give them blessing. And he started to go over the list, first one, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. When he came to the seventh one, with his pen, he made a line on his name. He was sitting in Bnei Brak. Then, eight, nine, ten, that, thirteen, boom. Few of them he already crossed out. They told him, Rabbi, why you made lines on his name? Said they already passed. He was sitting in Bnei Brak and they were in Egypt. He already saw what's going on over there. That's called Ruach HaKodesh. One Israeli from the kibbutz came to the Chazonish with his bag. Where are you coming from in the world? From Paris. No, tell me about your trip to Paris. I went to the Eiffel Tower. Rabbi, you have to go. It's unbelievable what these French people made. Such a tower. You go like this and like that, and it's amazing art. The Chazonish told him, check yourself. You described it wrong. It's like this. No, no, Rabbi, I just came from there. It's like this. Next time when you go, see, it's like this. Well, you went to the Eiffel Tower? Remember, there was no internet back then, so you couldn't see pictures on a computer. Talking to you 50 years ago. He said, well, you went to the Eiffel Tower? I said, no, God forbid, I don't waste time on trips. So he said, so how do you know? Said, don't worry how I know. Next time when you go, you check. The guy went there again. Unbelievable. It's exactly how he told it. In the middle of a surgery in Israel, the doctors, two doctors, are arguing how to open the brain of a patient. One say from here, one say from here. They don't know. They argue in the middle. They're stuck. His word against his word. Imagine this. Imagine someone you love is in the hospital, fighting for his life. They have to open up his brain. Something there is not right. Maybe blood clog or something. And the doctors are arguing. Say, no, if you do it this way, you, he will die. If you do it your way, he will die. They're arguing. 
If two mechanics argue about your car, no big deal. Worst comes to all, the transmission will die. No big deal. You have insurance. Well, what happens if one doctor said to do it this way and the other one was right? He'll be dead. Life and death. They didn't know what to do. So the family said, don't do anything. Let us go to the Chazonish and ask. Who's Chazonish? The doctor said. It's a big rabbi living here. He said, what does the rabbi have to do with the brain surgery? Don't worry. He knows about everything. Give us 10 minutes. They went to the Chazonish and they told him what's the problem. Chazonish took a pen with a paper. He drew up the shape of a brain and made instruction how to operate. And they came to the doctor and they showed it to them. It was not like doctor one and not like doctor two. A whole different way. When they looked at that, they said, who gave it to you? It cannot be a rabbi gave this to you. It's someone who knows very much about the brain. Said it's not a doctor. It's a very big holy rabbi. And this is the way you should do the operation. In a book that I read about six months ago, inside the book, the note, the picture of the note is in that book with his handwriting. I saw exactly the note. So that's called Ruach HaKodesh. Rav Ben Tzion Abba Shaul. There was a woman, Rebetzen. Every day she brings women that she makes them become religious to get a blessing from him. Rabbi, Rabbi, two minutes. Give her a blessing. She's, Baruch Hashem, started to keep Shabbos. Rabbi, give her a blessing. She started to go to the mikveh. Rabbi, give her a blessing. She's now reading Tehillim every day. He was very happy. The Rabbanit, she brings people. One time, she brought a woman pregnant, maybe in eight months. She stand by the door. He was sitting in his uh, table. He saw her. He said, yeah, come in. She said to the, wo to the woman, come, come in. As soon as this pregnant woman walked and he saw her, he, he went like this. And he was a very, very nice person. He never yelled at someone. Or no, 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 take her out. Take her out. No, no, don't come in. She took the woman out. She was shocked, this Rabbanit. She was shocked. It never happened. She went to somebody over there. She said, can you ask the rabbi what just happened? Never saw him so upset. So he said, let me find out. Rabbi, what happened with this woman you told her to go out? He said, I couldn't let her come into the room. She has a mamzer in her stomach. Her baby is an illegitimate boy, not from her husband. She cheated on her husband. She was spiking from another man. Can't look at her. I can't have her inside my room. He actually looked at her for a second and was... <laughs> Now you have to understand. If he was wrong, he just lost his olam haba. Do you understand, right? Or no? If you come to a woman and you tell her, oh, you have a mamzer in your stomach, you cheated on your husband, and it's not true, and other people saw it, it's called amalbin pnei chavero barabim en lo chelek laolam haba. Now this was a rabbi that was not just holy, was better than a machine. You know how machine, a machine never make mistake? His devotion in Avodat Hashem was so high, his irat shamayim was so scary, that the chance that he will insult a person in public does not even exist in theory. And he said to take her out, Mayer. She has a mamzer in her stomach. And we'll finish with one final story that happened with me. With me, 
What happened with me? 20, 24 years ago, something like that. 20, no, actually, no, no, more. 26 years ago. 26 years ago, there was one rabbi in Monsi. I used to work with him back then. That's how I started my first involvement with lectures and stuff. So he told me my son will have bar mitzvah next week. I would like to take him to Lakewood to put filin for the first time in his life by Rav Nathan Vuchtvogel, the mashgiach of the Lakewood yeshiva. He was close to 100 years old. Very old man. Very, very old. There is old and there is very, very old. In Mamash like 100 years old. So, would you drive us? I said, of course. Opportunity to get a blessing from such a holy man. Right away, I agree. We drove to Lakewood for Monsi. His boy was a righteous boy, 13 years old. And there was one rabbi in Lakewood that was a big macher there. In the meantime, he passed. But back then, he was still alive. He was, uh, everybody knows him, and he's the one who arranged this meeting. And he told me, bring your video camera. I remember video camera, there was no phone with the, with the video. You had to get a video camera, a big one, 26 years ago. So he told me, you stand outside and film how he puts the tefillin on my son. So of course, I stood outside with the other Ashkenazi rabbi. Speaks Yiddish. I, stu I stood outside and I was filming. I have to stand by the door. Otherwise, how will I film? So he looked, he saw me from his room. He saw me standing outside. Now, I was wearing jeans and a green shirt and had a very long hair. Nothing like what I look now. So he looked at me. What does he know if I'm Bechlal Shomer Shabbat, not Shomer Shabbat? It could be anything. For sure, does not look like a rabbi or a speaker. That's for sure. So he looked at me like this. It was very, very slow until he puts the tefillin. Mamash, like five minutes he took. Until he moved. Then he looked at me and he went like this. I was sure that he's upset that I'm filming. Because some rabbis don't like to be filmed. So that rabbi that was outside walked inside, spoke to him a few words in Yiddish. Then he came out. I said, what, you want me to shut the camera? He said, no, no, he didn't speak about the camera. So I said, so what happened? He said that you one day will save a lot of Jewish souls. I said to him, Ma, that's what he said? <laughs> what exactly he saw in me? This is the first time in my own life, first and last time. Hundreds of stories that people told me that they were involved with, I heard. But this is the first and last time in my own eyes I saw a person that has Ruach HaKodesh. Because how in the world he would get such a thing? A person stand outside with the jeans and a green shirt filming with the camera. The chance that he one day will make, will make lectures and make Baalei Tshuva. And long hair. And long hair. Imagine this. So, this is it. And... and you can't say that this guy made it up because he himself could not. So maybe he had Ruach HaKodesh. <laughs> One of them for sure had it. 
if I have to gamble who, I would say that is Rav Nathan Wuchtvogel. Wuchtvogel. So you see, Rabotai, my grandmother worked in the house of the Chazonish for a few years. She was working there, cleaning. One time the Chazonish saw that she's very sad. He asked her, what happened, you're very sad today? You have to understand, for the Chazonish to pay attention that she said, it's already a miracle, because his entire life was into the Gemarot, into the books. She told him, my son Meir, he's 17. I took him to the doctor. The doctor check is long. They said there's a big hole there. He will not live longer than 20, meaning he has two, three years to live. He can't live with such a hole in the lung. The Chazonish told her, don't you worry. He would live past 60. Past 60. He was smoking four packs of Nelson cigarettes. Doubled in Marlboro. That's how Nelson. I don't know if in America they have Nelson cigarettes. My father told me, at least I'm not like Meir. He smoked Nelson. I smoke Marlboro. I said, what? It's the same poison. He said, no. Every Nelson is like two or three Marlboro. Four packs a day. Eighty cigarettes. There is now one minute you found him without a cigarette in his hand. He, he is the one that they say in a joke that light one cigarette from another, that's how he was. Non-stop and coughing. I remember as a child, we used to go visit him sometime. <laughs> like this. With a big hole in the lung. He passed 64. Ruach HaKodesh, Rabotai. How do you get Ruach HaKodesh? Not by making millions, not by watching movies, not by being a Democrat, not by waking up at 10 a.m. There are conditions how to reach Ruach HaKodesh. You have to, have to be honest, you have to be devoted, you have to wake up early, you have to daven with all your heart, you have to learn a lot of Torah, you have to watch your eyes completely, not to look at mother's women, not to look at idols, Watch your eyes, watch your ears, never to speak Lashonara, never to hear Lashonara, never to hear Kfira, heresy. Sometimes you go on YouTube, you listen to a Rebbe, speaker, that in that one hour lecture had three or four minutes of heresy, that destroy your soul, destroy your soul, because every time a speaker speaks something against Hashem's will and against the Torah, and makes a very serious damage to the neshama of a person. Kfirah, it's a poison. It's poison of a snake, but spiritual one. It goes inside and kills you from inside. That's why universities made more infidels in the world more than any other institution. Almost all the wicked infidels in the world are educated people. Started from the time of the Greeks, philosophers, all the way to the universities of today. There are more people into secular heresy studies, the more they are the enemies of the Torah. It's unbelievable. 
you ask yourself, how is it possible that a doctor will deny there is a God? Is he that stupid? You look at the brain, you look at the heart, you look at the vessels, you look at everything, nose, lung, liver, eyes connected to the brain, such a sophisticated creation. And you go and tell people, ah, it was all made by a random explosion. This doctor has to save your life? How can it be? Then you see righteous doctors. I know many of them. <laughs> every second by looking at the body, you have to become ten times more religious. From every second, from what you see in the people's body. People choose what to be. They want to be wicked, they'll be wicked. They want to be righteous, they'll be righteous. It's hard work to be righteous. It's very easy to be wicked. All you have to be is an ungrateful monster, that's it. There is a creator to the world, he gives you oxygen every day, you use it against him. He gives you look, clothes, car, place to sleep, wife, children, wisdom, money. You eat, you're able to go to the bathroom, clean your body, you're able to enjoy colors, you're able to enjoy beautiful things, music, hear, enjoy what you see. What do you do? Everything he gave you, you use it against him. Eight years of life. And then in the end, you have complaints why here and there you suffer. You should ask yourself, how am I alive? I'm Mechalel Shabbat all my life. The Torah says someone who is not Shomer Shabbat has no shirt to the world to come. That soul will be cut permanently. Not me. I didn't write the Torah. Don't blame me. I only read to you what the Torah says. You don't need me. Open the Torah and read it. It's 12 times mentioned there. A person that is not Shomer Shabbat, every day that he's alive is a miracle. So if something happened to him, a flat tire, or he broke his arm, why is he even complaining? He should say to Hashem, thank you very much that you had so much mercy on me. Thank you, it's only this. I'll be better. Help me. I want to get closer to you. If a person is honest, he will never make excuses. There is a group of guys from Las Vegas, they came to the yeshiva. They're staying a week now in Monsi. Yesterday I went to, the, to give them a, a, a shiur for an hour and a half. Before they walked into the room, there was only one guy, and the other ones, after Mincha, they were making coffee. Everybody comes with his coffee. Okay. When the guy sat there, I say to him, until they come, tell me a little bit about the group. You're all from Vegas? Yeah, what do you do? We walk in the malls, chaos, cosmetic. He said, I actually saw you when you came to Vegas last time, a few months ago. I said, I'm sorry, I don't remember, you know, I see so many faces. He said, oh, maybe you don't remember me because I left right away when you started to speak. So I say, why? He said, you were too strict for me. I couldn't handle it. So I say to him, did I say the truth or did I make up lies? So I don't know. I say, it didn't bother you to check? He said, no, it was too strict for me. I didn't enjoy. So I left. So I say to him, listen, in life there are three things. There is the truth, there is a lie, and the rest is all excuses. Remember, there is a met, there is sheker, and everything else is excuses. So now the question is, 
If you go to a doctor, young, beautiful, handsome, rich, enjoy life, and the doctor gives you the shock of your life. I'm sorry, I just, you say that you have a headache, I check your head, and shemirachem, I just see a huge growth inside. It's a, it's a horrible operation with 10% chance to live. 90% chance you die in a month. And maybe even if we clean it, maybe you'll be paralyzed. Surgeries like this usually end bad, but we have to try our best. If we don't do anything, in four weeks you're dead. You're 25, you had so many plans in your life, and this annoying doctor just gave you such a bomb right to your face. You appreciate the doctor or you hate him? He's thinking. So appreciate him. So why? He just gave me a chance to save my life. I said, so why I'm different than this doctor? He gave you a chance to save your body. I gave you a chance to save your souls for eternity of suffering. You should have run after me a million times more and appreciate what went from the doctor. But you don't want to become Shomer Shabbat. You don't want to stop stealing the customers in a business. You don't want to wake up early and go to shul and put filin and daven. You don't want to be honest. You don't want to watch your eyes. You don't want to, be, to stop with all your nonsense. So you find excuses. Today it's, you're too strict. Today it is. I don't have money. When I get married, I'll be Shomer Shabbat. Everyone with these excuses. This has nothing to do with the speaker. Whether the speaker is soft or strict, that's baloney. It's all about the truth. The speaker said the truth or not. Doesn't matter his look, his face, his accent. It's all shtuyot. That's not relevant. You don't care if the doctor that saved your life is Chinese or Japanese or a Hasidic Jew. What do you care? It, this guy saved my life by telling me the truth, told me what to do. Do I care how he looks? Do I care about his voice or his accent? Do I care that he was aggressive or soft? What, am I going to get married to him? After the one and a half hour, this guy came and said, wow, this hour changed my whole life now. I said to him, that could have happened six months ago in Vegas. But he didn't give it a chance. Why? Sometimes it's ego. He's going to tell me I'm wrong. Sometimes it's desires. You don't want to change your desires. So you want to live in a lie. Most of us are like this. Not only secular people are living in a lie. Religious people also live in a lie. Everyone choose up to how far his lies will go. Secular person will ignore everything. Religious person will ignore some things. For instance, a religious woman. She does not want to cover her hair modestly, so she decided to put a wig. That rabbi says it's allowed. Okay. She goes to the store and she wants the fanciest, longest, not modest wig. That rabbi, 40 years ago, when he say, okay, you can cover your head with a wig, did he mean this kind of Hollywood wig? Oh, he meant a nice, short, solid one that nobody will, will not attract attention all over Borough Park. Are you a fool 
Of course, you know exactly what the rabbi meant. But you play dumb because you want to be attractive on the street of Tony and Vinny and Ahmed. Come to the supermarket. Oh, senora. So you want to attract attention. You don't want to say that you're a religious woman, a wife of an avrech that learns in yeshiva, a mother of holy kids that learned Gemara all day. You walk with your high heels and you want attention from Tony and Vini. You're not going to say it. So you cover it up in all kinds of words, statements. But we all lie to ourselves. When you go to eat in a certain restaurant, somebody warn you that the kashrut over there is not strict. Maybe you're eating taref. Maybe you're eating meat that is mamash horrible like pork. Ah, don't be fanatic, don't be strict. Ah, this, this guy has such a long beard. So what? <laughs> the beard made him holy. The, the Indian in India bow down to the cows. They also have beard. So maybe we should make them the mashgichim here to supervise the food. People that steal from the goyim in a business with a big yarmulke, you ask them, what are you doing? Mitzvah, mitzvah. Don't worry, Rabbi, we give 20% maser. <laughs> but it's not mitzvah. You can steal from Ahmed and give money to the yeshiva. You want to relax your conscience? No, no, that's not the right way. Torah says you're not allowed to steal, period. Jews, non-Jews, doesn't matter. You're not allowed to steal. I, now you begin to convince yourself, okay, look, I'm not going to steal from Jews. I'm only going to steal from non-Jews and anti-Semite ones. They deserve the punishment. Who are you? Are you God? You're judge in the court of heaven to decide who deserves to lose. Who... So we all lie to ourselves. We lie to ourselves with the way we raise our children. We lie to ourselves by the way we think and talk, by the things we read, by the things we listen to. But the problem is that you can only lie to yourself, but Hashem knows everything. You cannot lie to Hashem. There is no way to fool Hashem, Rabotai. The world is coming to a desperate situation right now. Nobody knows what's going to happen. We had hopes that Trump will save us. We had hopes in Israeli government. We had hopes in all kinds of figures. Hashem destroyed one after the other. Now, show me one thing that we can count on to save our life and save the economy and save the future of our children, besides Hashem. The words of the Gvara happened 1,000%. Before the arrival of the Mashiach, we will not have anyone to count on besides Hashem. Ve'en lanu al mi lismoch, this is the Gemara in Masechet Sota, en lanu al mi lismoch, ela al avinu Cannot rely on the Israeli army, we cannot rely on the Mossad, and we cannot rely on anything, even this vaccine now. Half of the people are against it. People curse each other over it. People do this. Everybody lost his mind. He cannot rely on doctors. Doctors, some say it's good, some say it's bad. You cannot rely on politicians. Some say it's good, some say it's bad. You cannot rely on all rabbis. There are rabbis who are against it. The biggest rabbi in the world said, yes, you have to take it. That should be the end of story. 
But there are many other ones who speak very much against it. They too much brainwash from YouTube. They heard this doctor and they heard this scientist. So from the rabbis you don't get a clear answer. From the president you don't get a clear answer. From the doctors you don't get a clear answer. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Today was the worst day ever. More people died than ever. Here and in Israel. In Israel they say that in three weeks the vaccines that people started to take three weeks ago will kick in. Because you have to take two shots. Now they're giving the second shots. So they say that in three weeks from now, I really hope they're right. Let's wait and see. And in three weeks from now, the numbers of people who get corona or die from corona will drop drastically. Israel, Baruch Hashem, with the mercy of Hashem, was the first country in the world that got enough vaccine to cover all their citizens. Not because uh, Pfizer or Moderna, they are in love with the Jews. We would like to give vaccine to the Jews because they are the chosen people. It's a divine mission. No, that wasn't the reason. Why they decided to give it to Israel first before America? Because in Israel, it's a very organized health system. Every person belongs to a local kupat cholim. They have a record of everyone. They're very much into computer. Every beep and sneeze you had, your doctor wrote down in your file. So therefore, if you're seven years old, he knows if you have asthma, if you had cancer, if you have emphysema, if you have heart condition, if you almost died once or twice, if you had clinical death, everything they know about you. So therefore, if now five million Israelis will get vaccine and let's say 10 of them will die, they will be able to give you an exact record of those 10 people that they anyway were 90% dead. And that will take away the fear. You see, it's not because of the vaccine. These people almost died five times before. So their time kept. But if they're going to see 10 people die and they did not have any condition, nobody ever had any disease, then people will begin to say, wow, 5 million vaccines, 10 people died. It's scary. I say to someone, I don't understand these people that are against it. I really don't understand. Why? Right now the world is crushed. It cannot be worse. Every day that passes, we lose billions of dollars. Israel went to 160 billion shekel deficit, the highest it's ever been in the history of Israel. As of now, you can add another hundred until they go back to normal uh, full economy. Do you know what it means? A quarter trillion shekel in the economy of a, such a small country will take a hundred years to fix it. Already, the damage is beyond words. I say to people, there are two ways right now. One way is we'll stay like this forever. More people will get it and more, and people get it second time, and people will get it third time. It will never go away. More and more and more and more. It's always going to remain. You can never get on a flight. You can never open the restaurants. You can never do events. You can never do shows. You can never make weddings for the next 50 years. And... Millions of people will commit suicide. Billion people will go bankrupt and will starve for food. 
People will kill each other on the streets. All these people who already six months don't get income. Do you know what's going to happen soon here in Brooklyn and Queens? They're going to start shooting at people for a piece of bread. What do you think? Where are they going to eat from? All these people who used to make $800 a week, they don't work already six months. The government stopped sending money. What's going to happen? You're going to drive your Mercedes here in Brooklyn. You know what's going to happen? You're going to get a gun into your head. It's happening every day now. You're not going to be able to raise children. You won't be able to pay tuition. There's not going to be a shivot. All the shivot will collapse. The world will come to an end for sure. If there is a chance to save the world, it's only the vaccine. That's it. There's no other, unless Hashem will perform such an unbelievable miracle that we, don't, we have no idea of. But right now, it's either the vaccine will save the world or we finished. For sure. So that's the only hope. Now you saw two million Israelis got it. Now one person had one tiny thing. Nobody. Baruch Hashem, it's a very encouraging thing. Maybe another month or two, when they get the second shots, they can open everything. Finally, we can fly to Israel. American Jews cannot enter to Israel for one year. They couldn't go to weddings. Their children cannot go to yeshiva. Kids want to come for Pesach to America. But if they come, they won't let them back to Israel. The only way they can go back to yeshiva for another year is if they will have a vaccine. Without it, there is nothing we can do. Nobody can get married. People get married in backyards with 15. But you get the point, Rabotai. Europe is in a worse condition right now. America, worse condition. In Israel, the worst condition, 10,000 people gathered today. Every day, more than 40 people dies in Israel. Already 4,000 people died. Israel is less than almost every other country in the world. It's a huge miracle. But still, do you know what it means? 4,000 people died. 2020 had an increase of 25 hundred deaths more than the average in the last 10 years. It's an increase. You ask, how come not 4,000 more? You just say 4,000 died from Corona. But in the end, in the total amount of death, there was only 2,500 extra than every year. Why? Very simple. There was almost no car accidents. Eight months, nobody drive. Lockdown, 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 nobody drives. Less accident and, and works, nobody get hurt in construction, this, why? Because there's no construction. Almost nobody died from flu this year, because everybody walked with masks. Nobody got flu. Flu was forgotten. So there was reduction in every other way of dying. So it went up 4,000, but it went down 1,500 in other, other deaths. But still, we lost extra 2,500 life. It means that 2,500 families, their life will never be the same. So now, the people that are against the vaccine, they worry maybe in 10 years, one person will have some kind of uh, effect on him. Or maybe in 15 years, or maybe in five years. I don't get it. Every medicine has this sickness. Uh, this uh, risk. Every medicine has this risk. Every pill you take may do something to you in 10 years. 
Every operation you had may do something to you. Birth control that almost every woman in the world takes can cause cancer in the future. All kinds of equipment in a hospital, who knows what it can do to you. Cell phone that you use can bring brain cancer. Food, processed food that you eat with all these chemicals that they put, preservative, can cause all kinds of problems. You now worry about any of that, but you worry maybe the vaccine will kill somebody one day. But right now, every day, millions are dying every month. So you worry maybe in the future? Conclusion, from two million people, if 1% would die, it would be 200,000 people. It didn't happen. If a tenth of a percent would die, it would be 20,000 people in Israel. It did not happen. If one hundredth of a percent would die, it would be 200 people. It did not happen. If one thousandth of a percent would die, it would be 20 people. It did not happen. So, the vaccine as of now is safe 99.999% as of now. So why is so much against it? You want people to continue to die every day, 40, 40, 40, forever, 40, 40, 40, 40, forever. That's what you want. You want Israel to go bankrupt? You want people to kill each other on the street? You want another few thousands of people that commit, 700 people in Israel committed suicide. This 2020, 700 people jumped from a window, shot themselves in the head, took pills and committed suicide. Do you know how many depressed people you have now? You know how many kids went off the derech because they were not in yeshiva almost the entire year? On and off, on and off, on and off. They went off the derech. A kid that learns very good in very good yeshiva and into learning, it's enough, you put him in the streets of Israel two weeks. That's the end of his neshama. Killing a body is a big problem. Killing the soul is a billion times worse. If you had two buttons, green and red, and Hashem comes and asks you, what would happen to your son? He's 10 years old right now. If you press the green button, he will die right now righteous. 10 years old, finished. If you press the red button, he will remain in life. Maybe he will die righteous. Maybe he will die wicked. We don't know what's going to happen with this boy. Maybe when he will be 18, he will become Khalil Shabbat. He may lose his Olam Abba. We don't know. We have no guarantee about our children. There are many things in the world that, that ruins the life of many souls. Right now they come and say to you, press the green light. Your son died an hour later and he goes to heaven. Well, he was righteous, but he won't enjoy hugging him and kissing him and giving him showers or whatever he used to do. Or you press the red button and he would leave. But there's no guarantee what's going to happen. What would you do? If we follow the good heart that we have, we won't be able to press the green button. I'm going to let my son die. Come on. How can I do such thing? If we were really righteous, it would not be any hesitation. Because if we follow the divine laws, the Torah say, the purpose of being in this world is to make it to heaven. 
They just gave you the purpose on a gold ladder. Take it. No, no. I want to eat McDonald's. I want to go to Cancun. I want to play cards. I want to watch Hollywood movies. I want to play with my iPhone all day. We just gave you a ticket to heaven instant. Press the button. I'm going to miss the boy. Because we are so far away from the truth of the Torah, we would rather he live here and become a drug addict and Mechalel Shabbat and, and gambler and who knows what else. Who knows? He may be righteous also. But why do you take such a risk? Now you have already heaven in your hand. You willing to risk his soul? What would you do when he will be 25? And you will find that he's a robber and robbing people and uh, injecting drugs and who knows what else he does. Like thousands of other Jewish kids. Would you ever forgive yourself? <clears throat> 20 years ago I gave a lecture in Raleigh Seals. By a house of a sharp businessman. Looked like a movie star. Israeli guy. He had a little kid there. I don't know, maybe five, six years old. I told him this kid goes to yeshiva or to public school. He told me public school. Yeshiva costs a lot of money, Rabbi. I said, Baruch Hashem, he looks that you have a good parnasa. What's the big deal? Send him to yeshiva. He said, no, no. It's okay. The school is not so bad here. I said to him, you're gambling with the, with the fortune of his soul. If, God forbid, something will go wrong, one day he will come to you and say to you, I want to marry the Goya, or he will be a drug addict, or who knows what's going to happen to him. You will never forgive yourself. You're willing to risk the eternity of his soul because of a few hundred dollars a month? I don't know how you're willing to play with such fire. I finished my lecture and I left. Thirteen years went by. I went to the Bukharian uh, vegetables uh, market in, uh, in uh, Main Street, in Flushing. Main Street and 77th, you know, they have boots of vegetables over there across the street from TD Bank. I take the cart, I go inside, I buy some Bukharian bread, all kinds of things for Shabbat. In front of me, who is standing? This guy. 13 years later, the boy was 6, 7, 13 or 14 years later, now he's about 20, 21. As soon as he saw me, it was three seconds of silence, and then he started to cry hysterically, and in his 50s. Crying, crying, we're both standing in front of each other, people there in the place, very awkward moment. He looks at me, there's not a day I don't curse myself for not listening to you. How much I eat my heart. Why didn't you force me to take this kid and put him in a good yeshiva? You don't know what happened with this boy. I was afraid to ask. Became a heroin addict, injecting drugs every 20 minutes clean his parents from all their money and they had a lot of money. Did not leave him a face to show himself anywhere. He owed money to here and rob this one and police every week in his house. Has no life. He said, I'm praying for Hashem to take me or him. 
one of us to get out of this misery. Why didn't I listen to you? What am I, a prophet? It was obvious. There's a 50% chance that a boy that goes to public school will marry a non-Jew and his children will not be Jewish. Or will be a drug addict. Or will be a criminal. Or will be a very bad person. It's not his fault. That's the education they gave him over there. To be gay. To love gays. Everything to accept. To be a liberal. That's the, what do you want from him? You put him in that place, they destroyed his soul, and now you complain? It's all on you. The poor guy, I felt so bad for him, and I actually felt that I have a part of my fault. It's my fault. I should have been more aggressive. I should have made a scandal in his house. If I was Rav Moshe Malka, Alava Shalom, Zatzal, he will not leave the house until the boy will be in yeshiva. He will not leave his house. He would say to him, excuse me, I'm not asking you. I'm telling you. Tomorrow morning, this boy goes to yeshiva. You want to pay? You pay. You don't want to pay? I'll go and collect money and pay for your son. No, leave me alone, Rabbi. What is no, no, no. Rav Moshe Malka went to a family in Mexico an hour before Shabbat. He was staying by them. He walked in. He said, Jewish yeshiva boys from, with kippah and peot and tzitzit. Watching television. He is only a minute in a house. He's hosted by a rich family in Mexico City. He took the television, took it from the window and threw it to the street. He said to the owner of the house, I know I have to eat by you in Shabbat. I know it's not pleasant. After Shabbat, I'll pay you how much the television cost. I cannot be here, see how you murder the souls of your children, showing them these things on television. All the curses, all the language, how women dress. I can't. You don't care about your children's soul? It's your problem. I cannot see such thing. You want to sue me? Sue me. No, I'll pay you for the television. Don't worry. That owner of the house was so embarrassed. Rabbi, you're right. You're so right. I appreciate what you did. Don't have to pay. We have enough money. Don't worry. These people, by the way, became his biggest Hasidim. They gave him tons of money. He had Yeshiva in Nebrak, 700 kids. Seven months out of the year, he used to go from city to city to collect money to raise these children. Rav Moshe Malka, master of Emuna. The Emuna he had in Hashem, you stand by him, you feel like such a loser. Such devotion and emunah he had, he never moved an inch from the truth. We have in our generation people like this. Back in time, there were hundreds like this. Today, Baruch Hashem, unfortunately, there's only few. Aval those, each one of them is a school for life. You can learn a lot. If you come to listen to someone that inspires you, put your ego aside. Enough with this ego. Say, wait a minute, what he say, is the truth or not? Is that what the Torah say? That means that's what God thinking. Why would I go against Hashem? If FedEx brings you an invitation to an investigation by the police, you curse the FedEx guy? You beat him up? What do you want? Why are you giving me such bad news? I, I, you ruined my mood. I sh should have not let you in my house. You fool, I'm saving you. If you don't show up, you get arrested. Now at least you can prepare for your problem. 
That's a good speaker. Speaker that tell you the truth. Don't say it's too strict, it's too fanatic. This is all excuses. There is only one Torah. There's not two ways to, to interpret the Torah. The Torah is clear. Read it yourself. Don't need a rabbi. Take our scroll in English and read. What does it say about Mechalel Shorat in the Torah? I did not write the Torah, right? You don't suspect me that Hashem asked my opinion. Okay? I did not write the blessing in the Torah. I did not write the curses in the Torah. I did not write the reward of the Torah. I did not write the punishments in the Torah. I did not design the purpose of life. I did not participate in the creation of the world. I did not decide the laws of modesty. I don't get, deserve any credit for the creation and any guilt. Agree or no? You agree? So therefore, from now on, get used to stick to the truth. Doesn't matter who say it, a Jew, a Goy, a Rabbi, a regular guy, a secular guy, who cares? Why does it matter who told you that? A nice rabbi, an angry one, a secular guy, a stupid guy, a stupid girl, who cares? I don't get it. What he said, is the truth or it's not? If it's the truth, work to fix it. If it's not the truth, it doesn't matter who say it, what do I care? It's either the truth or it's not the truth. If you stick to the truth, you will have a happy life, you will be righteous, and when you die, the Torah promise. If you listen to me and you follow my Torah, I will reward you endlessly. If you take all the pleasure of all the people from the beginning of the creation to the end of the world, combine money, trips, vacation, women, sport, food, anything you can think of. Multiply by an average life of 75, 80 years. Multiply by billions of people who already lived on this earth. Make a huge pile of pleasure of all the fancy schmancy life they had. Everything you can imagine. Huge pile of pleasure of all the people combined will not be equal to one hour of the pleasure of the soul in heaven. It's guaranteed in a book of God. It's not in Congress or in the Israeli Knesset that they tell you one thing and do the opposite. Hashem is not a liar. Where does it say it? In the Gemara in Pirkei Avot, Yafa Sha'a Achat Shel Korat Ruach Ba'olam Aba Mikol Chayea Olam One hour of what will happen to your soul in the next world is greater than all what will ever be in this entire creation. Mikol Chayea Olam Everything that ever took place on earth by anyone together, combined, cannot reach the pleasure of the soul for one hour. The Gemara said the righteous Jews are sitting and enjoying the greatness of God. What does it mean? I have no idea. It's way above our understanding and imagination. But one thing I'm willing to swear on my life, it's much better than what you can ever imagine. Because if God call it greatness, then nothing can defeat it. That's for sure, right? 
Now imagine, I enjoy this, and I enjoy this, and I'm addicted to this, and I love this. Multiply it all, add it together, it won't come to one hour of the feeling of the soul, the spiritual light of the soul, the happiness of the soul. And this can only come if you Shomer Shabbat, if you're modest, if you speak to Hashem every day, if you put filling, if you eat kosher food, and you work on your character. You improve your pride, your ego, your stinginess, your laziness, your anger. You work on yourself. You improve constantly with the help of the Torah. Once you do it, your way to heaven is pleasant and guaranteed. Bezrat Hashem, we all should get there. Bezrat Hashem. Tomorrow I have a lecture also in Brooklyn. 2511 Avenue I. It's going to be some food there. It's going to be an interesting event. Everyone is welcome. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen.